That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome to the Heart of Healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Hallie Tecco, and today we are going to dive into one of my favorite topics, women's health. Women are the power users and the power brokers of healthcare. With more frequent and complex health needs, women spend significantly more on their care at every stage of life compared to men, especially in their reproductive years when they spend almost two times as much as men of the same age. And as the de facto chief medical officers of their families who make the bulk of healthcare decisions for their partners, children, and parents, women control an estimated 80% of all US healthcare dollars. Yet the healthcare system is failing women. The majority of women report experiencing gender discrimination from their providers and feeling that their concerns are taken less seriously because they're women even to the point of medical gaslighting. Numbers prove this isn't all in their heads. Women are 30% more likely to be misdiagnosed than men, and female-specific conditions like endometriosis and fibroids often take 10 or more years for accurate identification. A shocking 60% of maternal deaths in this country are preventable. It's no surprise then that the healthcare system has a loyalty crisis with its most powerful customer, with over half of women reporting not trusting the US healthcare system. In 2017, I invested in a two-person startup looking to reimagine women's health. That company has now evolved and grown to hundreds of employees, seven clinics in New York, California, and Arizona, 100,000 healthcare visits last year alone, and has raised over $130 million in venture funding. This company is Tia, and today I'm talking to the CEO and co-founder, Carolyn Witte. Carolyn views it as her mission in life to fight healthcare inequalities women face. Carolyn, welcome to the show. So great to be here, Hallie. Thanks for having me. So for those of um, our listeners that aren't familiar, can you give us a brief intro to Tia? Sure. So at the crux of it, what TIA is, is a new standard of care for women. Our vision is to fundamentally redesign healthcare with women at the center and shift how the healthcare system defines, treats, and conceives of women's health from body part-based care to whole person care, from care that's focused on narrow reproductive life events to care that supports women's whole life from post-puberty through menopause and beyond, from care that's overly focused on treating sickness to care that's focused on prevention and wellness, 
And lastly, to care that's fragmented and siloed, to care that's integrated and seamless so that healthcare just works for women and by extension, women, families, and communities more broadly. And you guys started off very tech-centric. You had an app where women could message with questions about birth control and sexual health, but you've gone on to become an actual IRL clinic. And while the rest of healthcare is kind of digitizing everything, you went the other way and you're really investing in that in-person experience. For sure. So Tia is a story of uh, uh, many stair steps or iterations. Uh, as you mentioned, you know the, the original idea for Tia that you, that you invested in way back when was not a care delivery company and definitely not one with brick, bricks and mortar, but a digital front door product. Think a personalized WebMD for women's health. The idea was, can we be the answer to Google or WebMD and give women personalized science-backed answers to their healthcare questions so that women can make better healthcare decisions? And that product was really, really successful. We learned a ton of things in those early days. First, that we were really, really good at acquiring uh, acquiring patients, or at the time we called them users, uh, and bringing women in the door. We had a brand that was very clearly designed by and for women that evoked trust and got women to come to us as their pseudo front door to the healthcare system. We learned that women don't just want health information or healthcare for that matters. That's really uh, limited to their sexual reproductive health. This is where we started, but we quickly found that a question about birth control or egg freezing would lead to a question about someone's mental health or diabetes or nutrition or something that wasn't limited to a woman's reproductive organ, so to speak. And that informed the care, the whole person care model that Tia is so focused on today. And then the last thing, perhaps the most interesting thing of all, was we found that women didn't just want information. They wanted information and care from Tia. They wanted Tia to be their doctor, so to speak. And we learned this because women would bring our app with them to the doctor's office and message us in the, in the real world. So in the waiting room, it was, hey, Tia, what of a deductible? Can you explain my copay? In the exam room, it was, hey, Tia, which IUD should I get? And post-appointment, it was, hey, Tia, can you ex explain my pap test results? And it was those moments that got the light bulb to go off for me and realized that we had the thing that no one else had. We had this trusted relationship with women and we could use that to actually have even more impact by changing the way care is actually delivered to women and becoming the doctor. And that's what led us to where we are now, a, a full stock care delivery company with both virtual and brick and mortar components that's all about delivering comprehensive whole person care to women. And it goes without saying these clinics that your team has built are gorgeous. They're comfortable. They're not pretentious. They're not scary. They're not cold. They're really warm and they feel like your living room, like your dream living room. Everything down to the, the robe that she's wearing and the socks that you provide. What has been the response? I mean, you did that because you're, you, you have a great design stents. And I'm sure there was just part of like dreaming about making this beautiful clinic. But how has that actually changed the experience for your patients? Yeah. So there's two parts to this. One is, uh, I'll start with the fun part. I have a design and brand background, the idea of redesigning a doctor's office for women and saying, okay, the typical doctor's office or hospital was clearly not designed for me. Like who invented these stirrups? What about the temperature? Like all those details. And the idea of designing a physical space with women at the center was a kind of a fun design project and uh, one I personally really, really have enjoyed and invest deeply in. 
The second part of it, though, much more, uh, I would say, on a serious note, was our clinical model is really about prevention. And we're about saying, you know, we our goal is quite simple. We want to make women healthier, right? And core to that thesis is actually getting women to use healthcare, particularly before something is wrong. And so where those two concepts connect is saying, what if, how can we make the quote doctor's office a place that women want to go to and, you know, seek out, um, not just for that once a year pap smear or in a medical crisis, but for preventative care. And that's where design is a really, really powerful tool and a differentiation, I think, that Tia has invested deeply in and saying, let's redesign the doctor's office to make it a medical home that feels like your living room, as you pointed out, that is has many, many thoughtful details that is clearly uh, a woman feels the second the doors open of our elevators and she walks into our living room and it says, we call it the shoulder drop moment where people just kind of take a big exhale and say, oh my God, this is the first time I've ever interacted with a healthcare system that feels like it was designed for me. That is something I think that our patients say day in, day out. And then the last part of it, though, I just want to highlight where I think the real power of experience design comes into play is not the, you know, beautiful paint colors on our walls or even the reimagined patient gown or the temperature-controlled exam rooms, but it's really the, the intangibles, the, call it the bedside manner, the way that we've redesign the experience of healthcare to make women feel seen, heard, and cared for amidst traditional model, I should say, that all too often makes women feel gaslit. And this is the singular thing that we hear time and time again across every patient review, across 100,000 visits that we delivered last year, across every virtual and in-person touch point of the patient journey. It's wow, I felt seen and heard and affirmed and in the driver's seat when it comes to my health, not belittled, not ignored, not dismissed. This is the real power of design that I'm most proud of. And what sort of services, can you give us like the breadth of the range of services that are happening within those walls? Yes. So two things I want to talk about. First is the services. Um, I mentioned this medical home concept. The idea is that TIA is a one-stop shop for your whole health, physical, mental, reproductive health. And so brass tacks, what that means is we are your primary care provider. Primary care plus uh, for women is is oftentimes how I talk about what we do. And through that lens, we are the answer to the th- this primary care shortage facing uh, one in two women in this country who don't have a primary care provider today. So that's the core. On top of primary care, we layer in gynecology, so fusing your PCP and gynecologist into one integrated experience, as well as mental health and wellness services like acupuncture. Uh, and so we put all those services together, integrate them into a one-stop shop model with a care team that works together in unison to manage your whole health, and also deliver those services across chat, video, and our in-person retail style clinic. So the other actually evolution of TIA that ha- has happened in the last couple of years in the onset of COVID is the shift from being brick and mortar clinics to being really a hybrid online, offline care delivery company that's all about delivering right care, right place, right time. So today, 70% of our services are actually delivered virtually. The first time appointment for most patients occurs in our virtual context. But importantly, we also deliver that critical hands-on body care and connect that virtual experience with uh, a real-world care experience in that beautiful, beautifully designed space 
that uh, delights our patients and provides that deeper level of care that you can't get on the internet and then often continues back virtually through our video and chat platforms. So we can't talk about women's health without talking about abortion. And you have pointed to the fact that only 1% of abortions are done in a primary care setting today. And you've been a vocal advocate for expanding this. What do you think is the potential impact of doing this, particularly when it comes to the supply gap facing women in restrictive and refuge states? So to talk about post-Roe America, I think it's important to take a step back and really look at, you know, what's happened in the last couple of years as T has been scaling our company. And uh, the broader question that I've been asking myself is, what is the role of a primary care provider, Tia's model, in reimagining women's health and reproductive health care specifically? And so about, I guess, to go backwards, to go forward, it was, it was about 18 months ago when the Dobbs case was um, going to the Supreme Court that I called a meeting uh, with my board members and said, I'm really worried. I think Roe v. Wade's going to be overturned. You know, we've been talking about this for a long time, but I'm not optimistic that this fundamental right that has underpinned Tia's model and the way that women across the country experience and interact with the healthcare system for 50 years is going to continue. And the world where Tia actually refers out of primary care to specialized abortion providers in service of our pro-choice, uh, all options model is going to fall flat. What are we going to do if we have nowhere to refer, right? And we saw really two different uh, regulatory changes happening. One negative, obviously the threat to Roe, and one more positive, the changes that the FDA uh, was making around uh, prescribing and dispensing medication abortion. And we said, okay, let's not just sit here reactively and wait for a bad thing to happen and just be reactive. Let's actually be proactive and be part of the solution. And that's when we decided to prepare ahead of the Dobbs ruling to expand our scope of practice and start providing medication abortion through our virtual care platform in a way that delivers high quality, safe, effective pregnancy termination care to women uh, in the first trimester. And why I believe that's been such an important thing for Tia, but also the industry more broadly, is it's really about saying, how do we reimagine what is considered, quote, core preventative health care? Early pregnancy termination, whether for miscarriage or abortion, is a all too uh, common part of uh, a woman's health care journey. And 90% of terminations actually happen in the first trimester. And so we saw that as an opportunity for to really insert TIA's model and primary care more broadly as the solution to the, that abortion supply gap that you mentioned and say, let's actually step up and be part of the solution and innovate with a new model that can expand access. And why aren't more primary care offices and hospitals doing the same? So first, I think there has been an initial cascade effect, I should say, since Tia kind of stood up in this way um, about a year ago and expanded our scope of practice, which was part of our goal, saying let's our vision is to create a new standard of care for women, prove that it works, and create a model that others can follow too. And we've done this both with the integration of medication abortion into a primary care context, but also with the integration of mental health and other types of services not typically seen as bread and butter primary care. But in terms of more broader adoption, which I think is so, so critical to solving th this supply gap, 
both for women in protected states as well as restricted states, has to do a lot with the regulatory landscape being so, so gray. The way TIA delivers medication abortion, we do it through our virtual care platform, which is legal in many states like California and New New York, but actually outlawed in other states that we operate like Arizona. And this legal gray area creates a lot of restrictions or fear, uh, I think more than anything else, uh, for providers to operate. And I think creating more clarity around the regulatory environment will be really key to driving adoption uh, of scale of medication abortion within a primary care context. So that's one big piece of it. The second has to do, I think, really around broader sort of healthcare, sort of clinical organizations like ACOG and the sort of various groups of primary care and family practice physicians really making medication abortion an official standard of care in primary care, just like uh, many other aspects of, of healthcare have become deemed typical scope of practice. We'll be right back after the break. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, so not to continue to talk about things that are difficult, but the percentage of VC dollars invested in female-founded startups dropped from 2.4% to 1.9% in 2022. What do you make of this? So the female CEO, female founder part of me is um, definitely uh, demoralized by this sort of, by this statistic and this downward trajectory um, when I started Tia and when um, you invested in me and Tia Halley, I often said that we we had, I had multiple strikes against me. I was a female founder. I was a first-time founder and I was a women's healthcare founder. I put those three things together and it's a recipe for underfunding, let's say. But on the flip side of it, I am proud to to really be the antidote to some of those broader statistics in certain ways. As you mentioned, Tia raised $100 million Series B about 18 months ago, 
one of the largest single private financings going towards a women's CEO um, and women's health in history. So that's a really big milestone that I think represents a positive trajectory. But it's also a drop in the bucket. And we have a lot more work to do to invest in women's health. So it's very clear that investment in female founders, investment in women's healthcare more broadly are far below where they should be, right? We know that uh, women's healthcare as a category holistically is underfunded compared to men's health in every other category, despite the fact that women control more than 80% of the U.S. healthcare dollars and the pure economic reasons to invest in the category are very, very clear. That said, I think there's a third third issue that is not talked about enough that is increasingly on my mind, which is the fact that the vast majority of dollars that are going towards female founders and in women's health are happening at the seed stage, right? They're happening seed stage, maybe series A. But when it gets to the growth stage, um, that's where I think a lot of companies that are founded and led by women struggle even more to access to um, big checks. Um, often from investors that have even fewer women investors around the table that make it that much harder to get the growth capital needed to really take a company founded by women with a product delivered to women to the next level. And that's where I think in addition to total dollars going towards women, we need more focus and conversation around to really move the needle and enable companies like Tia to scale and get to the next level. Yeah, absolutely. It does. It it only gets more challenging um, for founders as they scale their businesses, and there are fewer and fewer investors available at the later stage, especially those that are women and that kind of get firsthand the problem. You guys have a mix of women and men investors. How do you find that male investors have <laughs> traditionally received the business? Yeah, I think there's. There's two things at, at play there that sometimes get under my skin, but I've, I've learned to use them to my advantage in certain ways. One is the vast majority of the time I'm pitching an all or predominantly male room. And as I mentioned, the later stages, there's fewer and fewer women in those rooms that I'm walking into, right? And so the question of, here's my personal healthcare story that led me to start Tia you've felt what it's like to walk into the doctor's office and feel like it's not designed for you. Those those stories fall flat, right? And so mm-hmm. that leads to that, well, let me go ask my wife or daughter. And on the one hand, I I find that very frustrating where it's like, this is a this is a business, right? Are you gonna are do you ask your wife or your daughter to make hundred million dollar financial investments and use their perspective to really drive your investment decisions in other businesses? It feels kind of crazy, right? On the flip side, I think it is important to step outside of yourself and recognize I'm actually not the user and I need to find my, find a way to step into someone else's shoes and understand this problem on an emotional perspective or or what have you to understand if this is a valid offering and that can really solve a real problem. I think the the bigger thing though is there is this experience sort of relational gap that obviously, uh, male investors have when it comes to women's healthcare solutions. But the the biggest way to really drive investment in the category, I believe, is to get investors, men and women alike, to fundamentally shift how they think about women's health from niche to a massive business opportunity. 
So I mentioned the 80% uh, of the healthcare dollars stat that um, I think is the singular stat that has changed the trajectory of companies like Tia and others in the category and put us on the map. When I started fundraising, you know, seven years ago, people used to say to me, why are you building a care company that's cutting out 50% of the population? Isn't that niche? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's, you know, at which I, I roll and say, mm, is mm-hmm. 50% of the fi- population niche? I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, but the flip yeah. of it now is actually more and more people, whether you're an investor or tra- traditional buyer of healthcare, a CFO of a hospital system, a health plan and employer, everyone or increasingly more people understand that not only do women and reproductive age women spend twice that uh, twice twice as much money on their care as compared to men of the same age we also are the chief medical officers of our families and control the healthcare dollars spent on behalf of our children partners and fam- and parents and families more broadly and so putting aside post row america putting aside the triple threat facing uh, women when it comes to their health right now, putting aside the moral imperative to invest in female founders in women's healthcare, there's simply an economic one. And investing in women and investing in women's health is smart business. And smart investors, male or female, are increasingly uh, recognizing that. And I hope that that 2.9% stat uh, will eventually change as there are more success stories to point to with women's health really proving out to be a smart business opportunity to win for investors too. Yep. Funny story. When I uh, had Maven, obviously have another really big women's health company that has done well. I had Kate Ryder pitched my Columbia Business School class in 2015 or 2016. So really early on. And the way my class is structured is founder pitches and then the students write up investment memos saying if they'd invest or not. And a lot of the students, most of the students said, no, why would why would any employer uh, buy into a benefit that only benef- that is only useful to at most half their employees? Yep. <laughs> Same exact you know reasoning in their minds. And so I think this traditionally this thought in business that like why would we cater you know to just half half the population uh, has led to this innovation trend <laughs> that you see in healthcare and in any consumer product, which is shrink it and pink it. Uh, so taking whatever has worked for men and just like making it a little bit smaller and painting it pink and thinking that that serves women. There are so many examples of this and so many ways where women are underserved because of it. What do you think are still some of the major opportunities and gaps in the space where we're still just so behind for women? Oh, there is just so many. Uh, to point to uh, when it uh, speaking to this trend, and I often just to say back to you in my own language, I often talk about it to my team as the healthcare system has been designed for men and largely white men, and treating women as small men with different parts, right? And if anything, if there has been focus on women's health, it's been specifically on the narrow reproductive. Uh, aspects of women's bodies uh, and uh, the women's journey, which are critically important, critically important chapters and experiences and part of our health. But the flip side, as you've talked about, it's not the whole story, right? We're whole people with complex needs. And so a couple of examples I want to highlight here are really about the things that most people probably don't think of when they think of, quote, women's health. So a few examples. First is um, mental health. 
women experience and are diagnosed with anxiety and depression at two to three times the rate of men. Yet we there are very, very few sex-specific models out there when it comes to mental health. The vast majority of drugs and SSRIs prescribed to women in the mental health space, many of them weren't even tested really on women. We don't think about interactions between SSRIs, birth control, hormones, HRT, and other aspects of the women's care journey. And we're basically treating women's mental health as men's mental health. And this fundamentally needs to change. Another area I, I want to highlight is cardiovascular disease. It's often a misnomer that, you know, think, people think breast cancer, ovarian cancer, these types of things are the number one killer of women. It's heart health. It's cardiovascular disease that's the number one killer of women in this country. And yet we don't even think of that as, quote, women's health. There are countless examples of this that I think really in, reinforce the the crux of Tia's model being designed for whole people versus parts and really focus on giving women a prevent, prevention-focused medical home that can fill in these gaps in the healthcare system with the very first sex-specific primary care model designed by and for women that cares about sex-specific difference and thinks about that across the experiential aspects, but also the clinical aspects too. And you guys recently commissioned a study of 1,000 women asking what they want from their healthcare, ranging from 18 to 65. I'm curious, can you tell us a few things that you found from the survey? Yes. So I'll highlight a few things. First is that the end of Roe v. Wade has further eroded women's trust in the U.S. healthcare system and pushing reproductive health to the top of their priority list. So people want to know what their healthcare provider thinks what they believe and what they do when it comes to access to reproductive health care services. They want to have more access, more uh, improved access to medication abortion as a top priority, for example, and better access to reproductive health care more holistically. The second finding is uh, really about gaslighting, which I mentioned a few minutes ago, uh, an experience that is all too common for most women in this country who feel ignored, dismissed by traditional health care, by, by traditional healthcare, which leads to mistrust, delays in care, and poor outcomes. And this, these experiences of feeling gaslit, I want to highlight, are uh, disproportionately felt by Black women and women of color who report this gaslighting experience at higher rates. And so the solution to that, again, what women told us they want is healthcare solutions designed for them that make them feel heard and uh, seen as whole people versus a body part or a symptom. So those are two that uh, are really top of mind for Tia and our big focuses on expanding our, our care model and the experience we've designed for women. I mean, these are, uh, other than the reverse weight and abortion care, kind of being treated as a whole woman is something that you've known for a very yeah. long time. Yeah, <laughs> sure. I think we're frequently... Uh, a lot of the stories and sort of pain points that I've experienced and you've experienced and, um, yeah. you know, are, are validated and affirmed day in, day out in terms of the patient stories we hear from women who use our services, from these broader research studies we conduct across the country. The thing that I think usually surprises me uh, about them is not the insights, to your point. These are, you know, we've known these for a long time, but actually how universal they are across age brackets, across race and, um, you know, women from various backgrounds and different demographics from a race and ethnicity perspective, and uh, across even sometimes uh, the political perspective too. 
So we've run prior sort of national studies, for example, around this, where you there's more more that unites women what with respect to what women want when it comes to their health than divides them. Uh, and I think that is an insight that is often not really understood when it comes to the politicalization of women's health. Yeah. So what's keeping you up at night lately? Ooh, what's keeping us keeping me up? The biggest thing is 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 really figuring out how to scale what we're doing. We've been on a long and an amazing journey, an iterative stair step approach, as I mentioned, that has gotten Tia to where we are today. This full stack, comprehensive online offline care delivery model designed for women uh, that women love, and now we're in that stage of rinse and repeating and replicating this experience. Uh, across New York City, LA, San Francisco, and Phoenix, and hopefully new markets in the future too. And doing what we do at scale repeatedly while upholding and continuously improving quality is really, really hard. Uh, And increasingly uh, a focus of, of mine and my leadership's teams in terms of ensuring we can sustain that quality experience across every single interaction. So that's the first thing. The second thing that's really keeping me up at night is is really the medium to long-term state of healthcare for women and healthcare more broadly amidst a lots and lots of systemic and structural barriers that make it very hard to innovate and scale uh, high-quality solutions. And the highest the, the highest order thing I'm talking or thinking a lot about is the payment models and the restrictions that primary care, mental health care providers in particular face when it comes to all too low levels of reimbursement for critical healthcare services that are essential to health outcomes for women and men alike. And so I'm spending a lot of time thinking about payment model innovation, what's actually needs to change structurally so that TIA can be the new standard of care for all women and not just some, and one that has the, you know, economic value attached to the outcomes that we drive to drive the systems level change for the healthcare system more broadly. And just to kind of close out for our conversation today, what advice do you have for others who want to work in women's health right now? Other than please come join us. Yes. Yes. So I think one of the things I'm most motivated by in many ways, proud of having been working on TIA and in the women's healthcare space of the last seven years now is the rise of the category and the, the number of new healthcare companies being founded by women, being built for women's needs is uh, night and day from, from when I started and when you invested. And put simply, we just need more people working on this problem. It's not crowded. There's not, it's not going to be winner takes all. Like there's so many problems to solve. And what we need is more people um, with the grit, with the vision, the perseverance to fight through the various challenges healthcare reimbursement, lack of R&D dollars, you know, bias and investment committees, all these things we've talked about to improve the healthcare system for women holistically. And so find a problem that you're obsessed about, obsessed with that keeps you up at night that you can't stop thinking about and start building and, and working on a problem to solve it. And that's the thing that I, I'm most motivated by and believe that a rising tide here lifts all boats and that with more women and more companies built to serve women, uh, we can all benefit and improve healthcare for women holistically. Yes, amen to that. Well, Carolyn, thank you so much for your time today. If anyone is interested, you can join Tia by going to their website. It's asktia.com still? Yes, asktia.com. Oh, great. 
and check it out. Well, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Heart of Healthcare. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. The Heart of Healthcare is a product of Offscript Health. We are a healthcare engagement company built for patients and caregivers by patients and caregivers. Our executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Andrew McDowell. Our host is Hallie Tecco. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscriptnot.com. That's media at offscript.com. For more information, visit offscript.com.